Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is provided by Cressa. Cressa is the occupier's champion, the world's premier corporate real estate advisory firm, exclusively serving startup businesses and major global organizations alike. As a Portland pillar for over 25 years, Cressa partners with its clients throughout the entire project lifecycle, from workplace strategy and discovery through the deal transaction and project management delivery of space. Cressa partners without conflict and applies integrated expertise to make your business better. Go to cressa.com Portland to connect with the Portland advisory team. From that cast creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast. A show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week, I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Hey, everyone. We got an old friend back on the podcast. Uh, I think Mike's been on. I can't even keep track. It's been a little while, but uh, Mike Rogaway, who's a business reporter for The Oregonian. Hey, Mike. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, it has been a minute. And... You know, it's never a dull moment as far as uh, what's going on in the business world here locally. And I love having you on just to talk about, yeah, a little bit of a, an update. We can, you know, dig into a few companies. And I think, you know, I always like to ask you to start is, how are we looking? How was, I guess, Oregon and Portland just generally business-wise since we last time to talk, we've talked, which has been oh, probably about a year ago, doing it. And then we'll, we'll dig in from there. Well, you know, I, I think, we're not so different here from the rest of the country. When you look at jobs and job growth, it's pretty strong. You know, unemployment remains under 4%. I was looking the other day, we haven't had a, a warn notice. That's a, a layoff notice issued to the state in like a month, not to jinx it. And there really have only been a handful this year. You know, the job market is strong. Wages are still rising, uh, though not as fast as they were, you know, in, early months of the pandemic or maybe the, the last year in, in 2021. But like everywhere else, inflation is is a pinch yeah. and it's taking a, a real toll. Wages are not keeping up with that. And we feel that particularly acutely here uh, because of our gas price situation that's primarily related to transportation and refining options here. So it's it's a, a particular pinch here. But in and, and when you ask when you ask consumers, when you ask voters, which pollsters did many times leading up to the general election, you know, the economy is near the top of everyone's list of concerns, primarily because of inflation. People can see that in the gas prices, they can see it in the food they buy at the grocery store. The problem is that the tools the state has to deal with inflation are pretty limited. Uh, we're sort of at the mercy of what's happening with the Fed and what's happening with Russia and Ukraine, what OPEC decides to do. Uh, COVID lockdowns in China that that interrupt supply and push up prices. Those are the kinds of things that are are affecting here, like everywhere else, and we're not able to deal with it because we don't have those tools. Yeah, and I, I saw uh, something yesterday that consumer debt has just started to surge again. Um, I think some of the banks are saying that hey, it's still you know not bad, but 
people are taking on more debt to deal with some of these things. Well, and, and taking on debt now is expensive. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, the days yeah. of cheap money are, are over for, for the time being. And so there will be a, a, a bill to be paid for that. It'll be expensive yeah. down the road. And obviously it's affecting the housing market. It's affecting it. It, it isn't yet, but economists say it will be affecting housing construction because it's going to be much more expensive mm-hmm. to build. Oh, Mike, so many things, so many things we need to get into. So uh, before we dig into a few specific maybe companies and industries, I mean, You've been at the Oregonian how long now? 18 years, I think. Okay, 18 years. Yeah, yeah, 18 uh, years. So in your 18 years, you've been through a couple I mean, <laughs> a couple economic cycles. You're out there talking to you know, business folks, um, getting stories. And what do you feel about this particular moment we are in economically? Is it different or what are folks telling you or... Yes, it's it, it, it's it's very different for this reason. I, I think in prior downturns, you saw a a broad hunkering down on hiring and uh, a lot of layoffs. And we're not technically in a recession yet, but we're certainly in a period of economic uneasiness. Mm-hmm. But people are not laying off workers. I think there's a couple reasons, both because the worker shortage persisted after the pandemic is still in place. Also, because I, I think there's a feeling that whatever, if we have a recession, it's not likely to be like in 2001 or the Great Recession. It's likely to be more modest and people don't want to give up workers right now and have to scramble to get them back. There is an exception here and everywhere. The technology sector is is out over its skis and or was. And so big companies are cutting back. We have of the com- big com- the companies that are cutting back most, you know, the Facebook and, and Twitter and Amazon, we have less of a presence of those, or at least a less a presence of the kinds of things they're cutting. Amazon has a big presence in the state, but not of the, the kinds of things that that business is cutting right now. So we're feeling that a little bit less here with one notable exception that we'll talk about in a minute, yeah. but, but it's a different downturn. Now, if it, we get into some kind of economic contagion, it will look just like all the others and people will be cutting oh, costs gosh. any way they, they have to. We're not there yet. Right now, employers are erring on the side of keeping their workers uh, right. rather than letting them go. Yeah. And as you know, I do uh, host a lot of you know, meetings for, for uh, business executives here and, that, and I always take their pulse and they're still you know, keeping folks, getting folks is still challenge still the number one priority so as long as that holds up for the time being it seems like you know we're okay except for let's talk about some of these exceptions let's get into you know maybe some of the public notable public companies here i want to start with a maybe a positive one we'll start with dutch bros i know you <laughs> covered them they went public was it 2021 yeah just last okay. year's biggest ipo in oregon history Oregon history. I think uh, <laughs> I was reading yesterday uh, the compensation report of uh, you know executives here, and they list the top whatever twenty, and the top three were all from Dutch Bros. So a lot of it in stock awards. Yes, um, <laughs> but they seem to be doing doing okay through this, and they're opening one hundred and thirty stores. I read next year. So, do you have any other insight of just biggest yeah. IPO in Oregon history? What's going on? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, they they came out of their IPO really strong, uh, this enormous demand for them. And, and as we saw inflation start to rise at the beginning of the year, they said they felt pretty well insulated from that. They weren't seeing many effects that changed dramatically 
later in the spring. And they said, actually, we're starting to see that pinch now. One of their main costs is dairy. And they saw a big pinch in that cost. I think something between, that went up something like a quarter to a third. Uh, and they also were feeling a pinch because consumers faced with higher gas prices were not spending as much discretionary in, income. There may also have been driving less. And of course, they've got a drive-through model as a result of the rising gas prices. So, right. you know, they weren't driving up to the Dutch Bros kiosks to get themselves their Blue Rebel energy drinks as mm -hmm. often. That seems to have mitigated itself quite a bit in the back half of the year. You know, they, they had initially been reluctant to raise prices. Now they seem to be pretty, Dutch Bros seems to be pretty on board with raising prices. And uh, their customers, after that initial uneasiness, seem okay with paying it. So, yeah. so if you want your Blue Rebel, uh, you'll be paying more for it. But most people wanted enough that they're continuing yeah. to pay for it. So their stock's been a little bit all over the map. I think they went out IPO'd at around 22. They were up around 50, 60 at one point. They're trading in the mid 30s now, which is about where they've been recently. I, I think people feel they have a solid business and their expansion plans are are solid and on track. I think you said 130 stores next year. I think that's about right. You know, they're expanding to territories in in California and the lower Midwest, South. Yeah. So. You know, it, yeah. it remains to be seen whether their business model will play all over the country. But to this point, it's been pretty encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, and, and even if that their stock is up from the IPO after the turmoil we had, that's hey, that's a that's a positive so far. So, yeah, I love my Dutch Bros. You know, I, as I've told you before, I grew up in Grants Fast. Know the family and the founders. It's an awesome company. So, uh, it's great to see them continue to do well. Um, on the other hand, some of the other companies, hey, let's you know, we talked about before is. Uh, the roller coaster that Vacasa has had. You know, so Vacasa is a little bit of a complicated business. It's, you know, it's vacation, just to quickly summarize their business. You know, they contract with vacation homeowners. They market those homes online on their own website, on Airbnb and VRBO and other places like that. Uh, and then they also maintain uh, the property and manage it. And they take commission somewhere between 40 and 50%. Uh, of the rental cost on that. And it's a, it's a real business, but it's having some issues. Uh, you know, that they, they, they went public through a SPAC last year rather than an IPO like Dutch Bros did. And SPACs they were sort of a cheaper way to go public. And you also had, you didn't have to disclose as much, it seemed to be a cheaper sort of prepackaged thing to get your stock public. But there were, other companies had issues uh, with disclosure and and maintaining their, uh, fulfilling the promises they'd made. So it, SPAC became kind of a taint on business rather than businesses that went public through them rather than a, a bonus. They went public 10 or 11 bucks uh, just about a year ago, 11 months ago, uh, and their stock immediately tanked and it continued to sink. And that's in spite of growing revenue. Well, things have gotten worse. Uh, there's a couple things weighing on Vicasa right now. They, they talk about an Airbnb bust or Airbnb bust that, you know, the rental property market is, is, you know, the burst of enthusiasm people had in the early days of the pandemic and, and afterwards for sort of DIY vacation as opposed to, you know, something, yeah. some big excursion that, that benefited Airbnb and Vicasa, but it seems to have ebbed considerably. 
Vicasa also seems to have some real management problems. They laid off uh, close to 300 people this fall, uh, although very few of them were in Portland, ultimately, where their headquarters are. But their new CEO, who they hired three months ago, I'm, I may have that timing wrong, but he, he had some really critical comments on the business in their last earnings call and essentially said that they have some real operational problems and that many of the things they'd planned to do to improve their sales and reduce their expenses aren't working. Hmm. Uh, and now the stock's under two bucks uh, and growth is slowing. As I say, it's, it's a real business. It's, it's not like some penny stock, you know, fly yeah. by night thing, but I think their market cap is, yeah, they've raised close to a billion dollars. And I think their market wow. cap now is around 800 million. So they're essentially worth mm -hmm. less than the money they've raised. So it's a, a real negative sign operationally for the business. It's not uncommon, of course, for a new CEO to come in and say, oh, you know, everything that was right. done before me is, is wrecked. And yeah. um, we're going to have to take massive charges against earnings and, and then from then on, his or her earnings will look great. Well, in this case, it didn't feel like that to me. He wasn't mm -hmm. saying, oh, we, we're just going to write all this stuff down and start from scratch. He was saying, we have some operational problems. And they, mm -hmm. he said, in so many words, we're not going to fix them right away. It's going to take some time. Mm -hmm. And investors aren't happy. So it's going to be a, a, a road for them. Yeah. I mean, I like you said, just the business itself, um, it's a real business. I mean, operationally, there's a lot involved. I, I think their biggest thing when they came out was the dynamic pricing they they put in for for booking. And I I use Vacasa a lot, and I, I'm finding that as I'm looking ahead of stuff, <laughs> the, the dynamic is not as dynamic anymore. It's very <laughs> things are very high, but things are not getting booked up as fast as like I remember during the pandemic. I'd have to book things a year out, and everything was booked. And there's a lot more inventory out there. So um, just from a, consumer point of view. I'm, I, I think everything Airbnb has, Airbnb Vacasa has said in Airbnb, but bears that out. That's just the way it is right now. And, you know, it may, it may reflect a large degree the economic weakness, but Vacasa is maybe not as well positioned as some other businesses to, to manage a down cycle. Mm -hmm. So they got some work to do. You know, one thing I wonder about is, you know, they're, they're a very distributed business. Their last couple CEOs have not lived uh, in Oregon where the headquarters are and their CFO wasn't here and the, you know, part of their off part of their headquarters were in Idaho. Mm -hmm. You know, I think for some companies, particularly established companies, distributed workforce is fine. I do wonder for a new business, if you come in and you say, well, we have some real management problems, some real operational problems, just the fact that they didn't, their CEO wasn't in the office was the fact that their workers are scattered all over their, their management workers. Does that make it harder to build that business? I don't know, but they were certainly a test case for that and they seem to have failed. Uh, <laughs> now that may not be the reason they failed, but they did fail in terms of building a well-run business right off, at least according to their current management. Okay. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. I mean, again, I, you know, I love using Vicasas. I would hate to see it uh, have hard times, but it's one we're watching, one of the few newer public companies we've had. Um, but switching gears to kind of the uh, the gorilla, maybe or not so much anymore. I don't know. Uh, talk about your uh, Intel. What the yeah, is going on? Well, they're Intel. they're definitely the, the the gorilla in Oregon. They're the big dog here. 
Yeah, here, yeah. Uh, and but they're not the biggest or most advanced chip maker in the world anymore. They're still huge, uh, more than a hundred thousand employees and fifty some billion a year in revenue. But you know, as as we've discussed before, their new CEO Pat Gelsinger, who had been a, one of the company's top executives before leaving, and now he's come back. He essentially wanted to take Intel back to the future. Uh, he, he was reinstalling the Andy Grove culture and wanted those Andy Grove results. Uh, for many people, that will mean that, oh, it's, it's a combative place to work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Not that. I don't mean that part of Andy Grove. I mean, you know, an engineering-driven, results-driven organization. And that's in process. There's, you know, it's it's definitely feels like Intel did 10 years ago in many ways. But it's a very expensive process. You know, they're spending a ton on engineering to essentially play catch up after having missed a few generations of, of technology and it cost them their leadership and uh, manufacturing to particularly to TSMC. And they're also investing, you know, somewhere like $60 billion in new factories in Arizona, Ohio, and Germany. Now state and federal governments here and there are helping pay for that, but Intel's still picking up most of the tab itself. So that's all a big lift. And those factories won't be ready for a few years. They call them fabs. These fabs won't be ready for a few years. Uh, complicating matters now is that the you know, chip boom and, and, and microprocessor shortage that we had coming out of the pandemic is, is over. Everyone who needed a laptop in 2020 because they were working from home <laughs> bought it. And it works yeah. fine. Thank you very much. I don't need another one. And so we have a downturn in sales. Apple has obviously moved uh, to its own processors, processors designs itself and are being built by TSMC. The data center market appears to be a little saturated right now with processors. And then you have rivals uh, like AMD, like NVIDIA uh, are taking market share there. So Intel is faced with more competition, falling demand, and severely rising expenses. And their investors are not happy about that. So they saw, they announced um, major cost cuts at, when they announced their third quarter earnings, including layoffs, although they've been cagey about just how many. But one thing we do know uh, from messages they sent internally, but haven't said publicly, but we've reported, is that this is going to be much more like a, a layoff at an Intel of old, Individual business units are going to determine who stays and goes. There's going to be no top-down mandate on, on who has to come or go. Although, you know, some business units um, probably will go away altogether. But uh, And employees are going to have the opportunity to seek other jobs within the company. They used to call that redeployment at Intel. If you can't find one in four weeks or whatever time period they give you, then you're out. Right. Uh, so it, it's, it's a more manageable process for employees, uh, although drags out the anxiety for a period of time. Sure. Uh, well, I, I guess it, I'm curious what it means for, you know, the employees here, but I, I, I want to get your hot takes on a few things. I'm not going to hold you to any kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sourcing or reporting. So, um, gosh, it, it, I'm not, I don't, uh, to be honest with you, I don't go to the city core that much anymore. Um, so I don't know a lot as far as, the foot traffic and businesses. And I like to, you know, ask people about it. So I want to get your hot take on just the downtown core of Portland. We've talked about before where Portland's got an advantage because the downtown is so central. Mm-hmm. Um, but just what, you know, you're down there, your office is down there. You, you mentioned you're going in, uh, 
you know, almost every day or a few days a week. So what, what, what are you seeing? What's the, what's going on down there? Well, you know, I, as you say, I, I go in most days, uh, I'm here today, you know, and I'm, I'm not just in my office. I do meetings downtown. Most days I go for a run at lunch around the waterfront. Okay. In many ways, it feels not so different from before the pandemic. Parking spaces are easier to find and there are fewer shops uh, uh, available. But, you know, the, the farther north you go, I, we're at the south end of downtown uh, near Portland State. And, you know, Portland State is back in session. Things are fairly lively there. The farther north you go, the bigger the, the troubles. And certainly Old Town is, it's a wreck. Uh, it may be modestly better than it was a year ago, but it's still in, in really bad shape. It's not a safe place to go, people feel. And, you know, we've done a series of polls that and this, this surprised me because we asked people in early 2021, we did a poll and we asked, well, do you feel safe downtown? And a lot of people said they didn't. And I, I'm not going to remember the numbers off the top of my head, but we asked them again this fall, just before the election. We did a poll and asked the same question. Do you feel downtown? Do you feel safe downtown? And people said they feel a lot less safe than they did in 2021 when the numbers were already awful. So downtown has a real image problem related to a real safety problem. Now, I'm not worried about my safety downtown. It's, it's you know, the odds of something bad happening are, are low, but it just doesn't feel like an attractive destination to a lot of people right now. I, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting about the poll. When we did it in 2021 and the numbers were bad, most people said they hadn't been downtown much. Many people said they hadn't been downtown in a year. When we did it again in mm -hmm. September this year, most people said, oh, yeah, I've been downtown pretty recently. I've been downtown in the last month, which both says people are coming downtown more often, but also they're more informed. And the more they know, the less safe they feel, uh, at, yeah. least to some, at least to some degree. And so that's, that's frustrating and it's concerning. Uh, you know, in, in many ways, Portland doesn't have... Portland's issues are the same as elsewhere in the country. Every downtown is struggling and it's going to be a hard transition if office work is increasingly remote. All right, Mike. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot to talk about. We need to do a part two. Uh, thanks for the insight about downtown. Um, I always like to ask as we, as we wrap a real quick, you know, the state of journalism. You've been there 18 years. It's continuing to evolve. Um, you're probably not any less busy. Um, how, how are things going? You know, it's it's good. You know, I, I think as we've discussed, I think in March 2020, like everything, we we wondered what was what was going to happen. Uh, you know, if the ad market fell apart, and I think we're faced with some risk with the ad market again now. But subscriptions have have sort of put a floor. Digital subscriptions have put a floor under the business, and that's. That's been a really encouraging thing. We've yeah. just hired a new, really skilled schools reporter. Uh, we have somebody who just this this earlier this year, well, this summer, we added reporters for uh, higher ed and early childhood education. We have an, another new position coming on that I can't tell you about yet. It's not a business position, but uh, some of these jobs are are being funded by foundations and and mm. Report for America, and you know, it's the sort of thing that you know, it doesn't pay for itself in terms of advertising or something like that, but it really enriches the community and, you know, provides, you know, a better sense of what's going on around here. So I, our staff is growing again after, after years of shrinking. And as I say, there's a floor into the business. So I feel all right about things. Uh, although the tech news site protocol just shut down, it had been owned by the same folks that own Politico and 
and that's a blow. Um, there were good people who were working there. And yeah, so sorry. people are still finding their way in the industry. And new yeah. business models are, are being tried and are sometimes succeeding and often yeah. failing, which, you know, not like any, that different than any other industry, but when it, it's hard when it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, last time we talked, we, I don't think the uh, subscription had even rolled out the digital subscription. So that's good to hear. Well, Mike, where can people find you? Where can they, where, where can they follow you on the dumpster fire? That is Twitter. <laughs> we'll talk about that next time. Where, where, where's the best? So long place? as Twitter lasts, I, I Twitter, <laughs> I'm at, at Rogaway at R-O-G-O-W-A-Y and mrogaway at oregonian.com. If you want to send me an email and oregonlive.com, if you want to read us online. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. Appreciate your time. Yeah, good to see you. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of ThatCast, a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.